Well, I just want to tell you one of my most favorite <clears throat> stories in all the Bible is uh, the story about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? This is, it's, a, it's a great story. It's found in Luke chapter 24. It, it tells of those disciples who were rejected on their way, walking slowly because their hopes have been dashed. Uh, and, and I trust you remember the, the setting of this story was in Jerusalem. They're heading from Jerusalem to the road to Emmaus. It's been three days since uh, the death of Jesus, the, re the resurrection of Jesus had taken place, but they, they didn't really know about it. They kind of did, but they were walking away dejected like uh, fans in it whose team had reached the championship game. They had high hopes, right, but their hopes were dashed. Their, their hope wasn't on a team, but their hope was on a, a leader. And uh, really, for, for several years, they'd followed Jesus of Nazareth with hopes that he would uh, be the Messiah who would deliver them from the tyranny of Rome. And um, they, they, they had these plans, right, that, that uh, Israel would come and raise up. Yeah, do my sound really loud to you guys? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know, maybe, maybe this helps. So, um, so several years, they, they'd followed Jesus of Nazareth. They, they're hoping that Israel would rise up and that there would be uh, people in Israel who would just outnumber everybody. And there would be this uh, political sway that Israel would once again be free that they would have the, the prime seats in the cabinet of the kingdom with the Messiah on the throne, that they'd be able to make powerful decisions to affect many for good in Israel, and that gone would be the days of high taxes to Caesar, and, and instead the law of Moses would be introduced, and there'd be a, a theophany, a theonomy again, once, once again in the land of Israel. And these guys were prepared and ready for that glorious day. And many followers had such high expectations of that, that dream, but all came to a crash when Jesus was killed in Jerusalem. He was crucified actually as a, as a criminal. And here it was three days later. I'm not sure if you need this. I'm sounding quiet. Whatever. Here were three days later, right? Rumors. Rumors to the fact that, that Jesus had, had predicted that he would rise from the dead. And few believed it. It was sort of a, a fanciful thought. But then some women saw him. Right? saw the empty tomb and saw an angel and actually even saw Jesus. They told the disciples who checked it out, and indeed the tomb was empty. It caused some confusion, though, these two walking along on the road to Emmaus. They were in this fog about how it all fit together. Here was their, here was their hope, and yet things were kind of dashed. And yet, yet here then came maybe the resurrection, and, and along that time there, there came another man along the way. And uh, he was talking with them, and... Um, he seemed ignorant to all that had come to pass. And so these two disciples explained all that happened. We're followers of Jesus. We're hoping he's going to redeem Israel. But then he, he, he was killed. But then there's rumors of the resurrection. And, and they expected this man to be in awe and wonder with them. And kind of thinking about them, with them, about all these things going to pass. And instead this man rebuked them, saying, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then this man began with them a little Bible study, actually a big Bible study, where they began, he began with Moses and went to all the prophets interpreting to them all the things in the scriptures concerning the Messiah. And when he finished his little lesson, they, they arrived at their home in Emmaus, and he was going to go on, but they invited him in, and there he was at the table. And when he was at the table, he took bread, he broke it, and I have no doubt that he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at that point, their eyes were open. 
They recognized this man who they'd encountered by the side of the road was none other than Jesus, risen from the dead. And just as the women had told them, and just as they were excited, it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 31, that he vanished from their sight. Just gone. And at the mom- that moment, the disciples then returned to Jerusalem. So they, they'd gone to Emmaus, but then at that point, they turned around, and for joy, they returned to Jerusalem to talk to all the apostles. It's a great story, isn't it? Filled with drama, filled with confusion, filled with enlightenment, filled with resolution and joy, and ultimately it's a story about Jesus and his power to save. Now when we come to the book of Acts this morning, we're going to encounter a similar story. It's, it's, a, it's a story about travelers by the road. Um, one of those travelers is a confused man, sort of in a fog. He's seen and experienced some things in Jerusalem, but now he can't quite put it together and doesn't quite understand what's going on. And then another man comes and joins these travelers, and uh, he gives them a Bible lesson. And they see and understand how Jesus from the Old Testament indeed was the, the one who was supposed to suffer, being the Messiah. And then we see faith, and, and then we see um, people leaving there, with joy of their hearts, having encountered God. And then we see a mysterious exit from the scene. So our text today, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, is really the, the Emmaus road to Luke's gospel, is what it is. It's very, very similar. My message this morning is entitled, A Divine Appointment, because that's what we see in this passage. So if, if you haven't turned there already, Acts chapter 8, we're going to finish the chapter today, looking beginning at verse 26 through chapter through verse 40. So let's begin. And look for the divine appointment and see how divine it is. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him, and who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Indeed, that's a divine appointment. We see the Lord divinely orchestrating um, events of the day so that these two individuals can connect for the purpose of evangelism. And by the way, we see divine appointments today when uh, maybe you're out, out working on your yard outside and your neighbor happens to be working outside. And, and you, you greet each other and you say hi to one another and then pretty soon you're talking with one another over the fence. That may well be a divine 
appointment. It, it is no accident, that's for sure. Use this as an opportunity, like Philip did, is what my exhortation to you is today. Or, or, or maybe we see this today, a divine appointment, when old friends happen to see each other at a store, and, and you come home, and, and uh, even you're thinking about, honey, do you know who I saw at the store? And so-and-so, oh, really? Yeah, and so you call them up, and you text, and you, uh, you, you get lunch together. That could be a divine appointment. It is no accident, that's for sure. Or, or maybe when a coworker shows interest in Jesus, and you say, how about work? How about we go out for coffee after work sometime? That's a divine appointment. God prepares a heart. And here we see, in Acts chapter 8, we see this zealous evangelist meet up with the seeker of God. And they come together, and we see the seeker come to faith in Jesus. So my first point this morning is, is meeting. We see this in verse 26 and 27, really laying the background for these characters. Meeting is my, my first point. And we see the Lord arranging this meeting First with Philip, says, verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now we've seen Philip before. Uh, he's one of the seven men who was appointed by the apostles to help serve the widows in their daily distribution of, of food. He was a, a man of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. He had an evangelistic heart. We saw that last week when we were in Acts chapter 8, the last two weeks actually, when he was in Samaria and he's preaching the good news about Jesus. In Acts chapter five, Acts chapter 8 verse 5 says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip told them the life of Jesus. How he, how he walked blamelessly and went about doing good and healing all who were sick. And how the religious leaders hated Jesus because they were envious of his following and they put him to death on the cross. But his death was actually a sacrificial death for our sins, and so the scripture tells us. And Jesus then was buried, but then he was raised on the third day to demonstrate everything that he said was true. And he, he conquered death. And now Jesus ascended into heaven. And now see at the right hand, he's waiting there to come back to judge the living and the dead. He's going to rule the world, so you need to repent and believe in this Jesus. That's Philip's message. And many in Samaria, it says in, in, in verse 12 of chapter 8, we're believing. Philip, revival broke out in the city, and many people were coming to Christ all over Samaria. And, and I just think about Philip. Philip could have stayed in Samaria, had, had quite a, a ministry there, planted several churches there in Samaria. He, he could have, but God called him away. In verse 26, we see God calling him away to the, to the road to the south that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's there in the north in Samaria, and then he's called into Jerusalem, and then going down south to Gaza on that road. Now this, by the way, is the same Gaza that is in the news today. For the past week, there's been conflict between the Palestinians who live in Gaza and uh, with the Israelis who live in the same Israel where Philip was. There, there's dispute over property in uh, East Jerusalem. And uh, the, the Arabs have sovereignty in Gaza, and so they're uprising, and they're sending missiles over to Israel, and Israel's blocking them and then doing some strategic hits in Gaza. And it's, it's a big deal because it's a big protest. That's the same Gaza where they are, this strip of land upon the Mediterranean Sea down south um, there, and we see the description of the road, it's a desert place. Indeed, it is a desert place. Once you get south of Jerusalem, it gets really hot, really dry. But this is by the sea, so there's, there's some nice things there. But I, I love Philip's obedience then in verse 27. We see that Philip rose and he went. 
May that be said of us as well, is that when God tells us to go, we go. We don't delay, don't make excuses, don't find a, a better plan. We don't, we don't say, as Jesus told in the, the, the banquet parable, says, I cannot come to the banquet, don't bother me now. I have married a wife, I have bought me a cow. I have fields and commitments, right? Don't bother me now, I, I cannot come. Not so with, uh, with Philip. Think of all the excuses that he could have made. He could have said, no, no, revival's breaking out. I got great ministry here. I can't go south. I can't, I can't go way away from here. And yet, indeed, he went to know that God would give us a heart to go. And it's interesting here, he didn't even say, well, you, you've got this, this ministry you're going to have down in Gaza, right? You've got to go there because revival's going to break out there like broke out here in Samaria. He didn't even know that. But God brings him down there for the convert of one individual. Unless we think that the crowds are more important than the one in God's economy, here we see the one taking priority over the great crowds in Samaria. It's because God had a plan. He got a plan for this one. He's the, the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. We hear about him in uh, verse 27. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian. And then we just see these descriptions about this Ethiopian. He was an Ethiopian. He was a eunuch. He was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of the treasure. Now, we don't know this man's name from Ethiopia. Perhaps probably because Philip never heard his name. And he, he just left then into obscurity back to Ethiopia where he came from. But we know certainly he was a black man coming from Ethiopia. Uh, we know certainly that he was a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Candace here wasn't her name. Candace is more like a title for a queen, like Pharaoh is the title of the king in Egypt. And you can talk about Candace of Ethiopia. You can talk about Pharaoh of Egypt, uh, maybe of uh, Caesar of Rome, right? Just this, this title of who it was. He was a eunuch, so he was castrated, and that means he could serve the, the harem of uh, the queen, among the, the ladies of the queen, without any sexual temptation. And it appears that he was a, a trusted and respectable man in charge of the treasure of the queen. It seems like uh, he was a man of some means. He was able to travel from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, hundreds of miles from his home. I mean, we just jump in a car and could travel hundreds of miles. Not so back then when everything had to go by horse or by chariot. You just, it's a long slog, you know, 20, 50 miles a day if you're on the horse and the horse is going along. It's, it's no small adventure. Probably a trip took some months to complete. We don't know why he left or the background of that, but we know his purpose of his journey. We read the end of verse 27 this. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And you just got to catch how amazing that is, that, that here was this, this black man in charge of, the, of the, the treasures in Ethiopia setting his sights upon Jerusalem for some reason. We, we have no idea why that reason was. I mean, in Ethiopia, it's not like there was a, a large Hebrew contingent. Maybe there was a small synagogue. Maybe he started going there and, and getting some things. Maybe in some ways he got hold of the Old Testament and uh, was, was reading it and just said, wow, the, the Jews, Jerusalem is the place. And so anyway, he went up to Jerusalem on this pilgrimage to worship the God of Israel. And I think about the timing of this trip as well. That, that he's going to Jerusalem sometime after all this took place about Jesus. All this life and death and burial resurrection, this upheaval, and then everything we've been reading in Acts chapters 1 through 7 so far about, about this church that's growing, this message of Jesus just 
flourishing as the apostles are preaching about Jesus and the, the resurrection, and then the church is flourishing, and you got thousands of believers in uh, Jerusalem, and, and, and they're there, and, and certainly this uh, Ethiopian eunuch, as, as he went up, he certainly saw everything in Jerusalem that he wanted to see. He saw the temple, he saw the sacrifices, he saw the, the priests, he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and he was able to worship there. Now, of course, being a foreigner, he couldn't go very far. He could go to the court of Gentiles, that's all. But he was a eunuch, so he probably couldn't even go there. He, all he could do was see from afar, but at least he could worship the Lord seeing from afar what was happening in the temple. And I'm sure his heart was warmed as he saw the true Lord worshipped in the, the true way as, as they were there. But there was something else in Jerusalem that he saw that he wasn't expecting to see. It was the church, not, not church buildings, but the vibrant community of believers of Jesus who were loving one another, who were serving one another, who were sharing all their possessions with one another. And certainly he heard their, their message about Jesus, this man who was dead and yet now he's raised from the dead because in Acts chapter 4 verse 28 says the, the message of the resurrection was filling Jerusalem. I mean, it's actually chapter 5, verse 28, I'm not sure, but it's the, the message is filling Jerusalem, just, just everywhere. And Jesus, the Messiah, was the message, right? He'd come. He'd come to Israel, but he was crucified, risen from the dead. Now he waits in heaven to rule and judge the world. And, and the, the Ethiopian eunuch was not expecting that. I mean, nudes traveled slowly in those times, and, and I don't think that the message of the Messiah of Jesus had probably reached Ethiopia when he said, hey, I'm going to, to leave, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to see and worship the Lord in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden she, he's surrounded by this message of, of Christianity. And, and I say that he was sort of shocked about that because we get a glimpse here in verse 28 about his return trip. It says that as he was returning, seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. This is my second point. We've seen the meeting Actually, they haven't met yet, but they're, they're going on their way to meet. But now we see the reading, the reading of verses 28 through 32. This is what the Ethiopian eunuch was doing. He was, he was reading, and it says here that he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, the very fact that he was reading was really quite amazing because Isaiah is written in Hebrew. Not a lot of Hebrew speakers in Ethiopia. It's not the language of his home country. It shows that he had some devotion to learn this foreign language, this Hebrew language that he could read and study that so he could read the Old Testament. And full of his experience in Jerusalem, though, I think that this eunuch then was investigating these claims of these Christians reading from the prophet of Isaiah. I mean, it may have been he's just devotionally reading through the prophet of Isaiah. Isaiah, by the way, the Old Testament is a little bit like a Romans of the New Testament. Uh, it's just a, a treasure trove of theology and heart and, and worship, and um, he was reading that. may have been devotionally, but I think it had to do more with his encounter with Christians. And I say this because of what he was reading. He was reading of the prophecies of the Messiah. I don't think that was uh, an accident either, and we'll, we'll get to verse 32 here in a little bit, but let's, let's catch up. We are in verses uh, 29 and, and following. We see in 29, again, the Lord's intervention of meeting these two individuals. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Here we see the Lord directing the steps of Philip. He told him to go south in verse 26 to the road to Gaza, and now he's telling him to join this chariot where the Ethiopian is seated. God may have known that the chariot was there. I certainly did know that. 
Philip didn't, but he's just starting to head south. And as he's going, the Lord is directing his steps and send, says, there's your target. You go for him. And so he, he went there. And, and again, we see Philip's heart of obedience in verse 30. So Philip ran to him. Philip understands his final destination. This is just like, you know, when, when you run a mile, right? You go around that track four times. He's gone around three and a half times, and he's in the home site. He says, there's the finish line. And so he can sprint to the finish line. He knows exactly where he's going. He runs up to meet this man in the chariot. And as Philip comes to the chariot, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, again, there's some strange things to us. In our day, we don't normally hear people reading out loud um, what they're reading, right? I mean, think about it, right? When you see people in the store, they're, they're waiting in line, they got their phone, they are, right? This is the, the picture today, right? Imagine if people in line, if they're reading out loud, like that, the chaos that that would be. Everyone, everyone reading, but this was the pattern of, ancient, of the ancient world, in fact, there's a story about Augustine, right, being amazed that his teacher Ambrose could read without his lips moving, just his eyes in silence. Am Augustine, this is like 4th century A.D., was like shocked that that was even happening and taking place. It was practice of the ancient world. When they read anything, they read it out loud. That's only a, new, a newer thing since then that we read quietly. But Philip's Bible knowledge, it's interesting, was, was good enough that he could hear some verses being read and knowing instantly where they came from, right? Because Philip ran and uh, verse 30, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, 28, he ran and he was reading Isaiah and the Spirit said to Philip, go, oh, Philip, I'm, I'm looking at this. And so Philip ran and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. That means his biblical knowledge was good. That means he understood what was being read. He just heard some verses and knew ex instantly what was being read. So let's try that. Just want to have another quiz, right? Let me just start reading a passage. And as soon as you know, you shout it out. You don't need to tell me the chapter. You just need to tell me the book. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What? No. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. How about, how about let's, let's, let's try this one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew, okay, I don't know, I don't know if you, you got that right. That was, that was okay. Let, let, let's try this one. Uh, just let me, let me look here. Um, this would be a good one. How about this? Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. For Samuel, good job, good job. I think I'm just gonna have to start start like doing this, okay? Just just looking. Um, how about this one? How about how about um, um, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, revelation. Good job. Okay, and then then how about this one? Let's let's try <clears throat> let's try this. Um, Let's try. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, Isaiah. And that's exactly the passage that, that Philip heard when he was reading. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter, like a sheep that's silent for his shears, so he opened not his mouth. 
And, and, and Philip saw that, he, he heard that, he discerned that he was reading right from Isaiah, certainly knew the context, and this is one of the most famous passages in all the Old Testament for the, for the Christians who'd come in and, and understood that. But he also discerned, I think, not only are the passages, but he also discerned the Ethiopians' confusion probably, just like Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Discerned, why are you downcast, is what he said to these guys. So he discerned his confusion there, the difficulty, and so he asked him here in verse 30, he says, do you understand what you're reading? This might be a great evangelistic question you might have with other people. He says, do you ever read the Bible? Do you ever understand? Do you understand what you read? In the Bible? Maybe you'll get a response like the eunuch who, who said to Philip, verse 31, he said, how can I? How can I understand unless someone guides me, right? This Bible is a mysterious book, and, and these are some mysterious words here. And, uh, you know, just think about the Ethiopian eunuch. He's not in an expository preaching sort of place. He doesn't really understand how, how the Scripture works and how you just read it and understand it. And um, so he's kind of confused like most people are in the world, like most non-Christians in the world. They, they can't just take understand that the Bible, you simply read it, work it through, understand it, and explain it. You can understand it with the help of the Spirit of God. But anyway, he said this. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Here's the open invitation for Philip. So there he is. He sat in the chariot, and they read this passage together. The passage that he was reading was this, like a lamb that was led to slaughter, like a lamb... Before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Indeed, a rich passage of Scripture taken right from Isaiah 53, some 700 years before the coming of Jesus, predicting his death and what kind of death he would suffer. An unjust death as a substitute for us. And that's all clear in Isaiah chapter 53. And again, I don't think this was an accident that this man was reading from this passage. I mean, having come from Jerusalem to worship the Lord, only to encounter these Christians claiming this Messiah is a fulfillment of the Old Testament, and certainly they'd quoted from Isaiah 53 in trying to prove that, that, that here he'd come, that this was different than he was expecting. And uh, certainly, right, uh, along with with all the Jews, like those on the road to Emmaus, he was expecting this Jesus, this Messiah, to be a political figure, you know, who would lead a military rebellion against Rome and set the Jews free once for all. And, and I'm sure that he's back in Ethiopia, he's reading the Old Testament and thinking about the oppression of Israel under the Roman rule. He, that's probably his picture of the Messiah as well. And so when he gets to Jerusalem and these Christians are saying, no, 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 Messiah's not like that. There, there's sufferings first and then there's glory later to be followed. And as they heard him preach about Christ dying for our sins according to the scriptures, he's like, okay, where in the scriptures does it say he's dying for our sins? That he's buried, that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, where in the scriptures does it speak about him being raised from the dead? And one of the passages here was Isaiah 53. And so going home, he's checking it out on his own to see and understand if, if what he heard from the followers of Jesus, say, in Jerusalem, whether it was indeed in the Old Testament scriptures or not, and then he asks the great question in verse 34. About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And this is exactly the invitation that Philip was waiting for, right? When that unchristian calls you up, when that non-Christian calls you up and just says, you know, I just got some questions about, 
about Christianity. Can we have lunch together? Can we do that? Like, that's like the question. And you know what? That still happens today. People call people up, say, I got a question. Can we just meet together? I just got something in my life. I want to understand the Bible. Sometimes it actually happens to connect. Sometimes it doesn't. But here, Philip is just right there. And so we see, verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. This is my third point. We've seen the meeting, verse 26 and 27. We've seen the reading, verse 28 through 33. And now, 34 and 35, we see the preaching. The invitation comes in verse 34, and the actual preaching comes in verse 35. In fact, this is how many verses, how many translations translate this way. Listen to the King James Version. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the same scripture, and preached Jesus unto him. The, the New American Standard. Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. It's because this word here translated, he told him the good news is the same word often used for preaching. It's the Greek word euangelizo. You at the first part means like good, like a, a eulogy is a good word that someone says about something. Euangelizo, angelizo, like angels. Angels are messengers. So a euangelizo is a, is a good message or it's good news. And that's why it's translated here. Um, he told him the good news about Jesus. He euangelizoed, he preached to him. We've seen this already. In fact, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Euangelizo, they were, they were preaching, they were proclaiming, they're telling the good news. In verse 12, we, we see the same thing about when the, the Samaritans, they believed Philip as he preached the good news. There's, there's euangelizo, the same sort of thing. And this is exactly what Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he preached about Jesus. He preached Jesus to him. Now, the reason why it's translated differently is because you, you have a, a different context when you're speaking to 100 people, like he was in Samaria, as opposed to sitting with someone on a chariot. So if someone asks you to lunch and says, can you explain the scriptures to me? You don't sit there and say, okay, and you're sitting there in the restaurant. Okay, let's open up to Mark chapter 5. And here we see, and you don't do that. You just talk in a normal voice. <clears throat> That's what Philip did. He uh, talked to him in a normal voice. But there are times when it's appropriate, like it was in Samaria, to speak out. In fact, I had a great illustration of this recently. A, a, an old friend uh, connected up with us. We hadn't seen him for over a year, maybe a year and a half or so. And and he drove by our house, and I uh, used to live in our neighborhood, and so, hey, he saw me outside working, and, and uh, so decided to come in and talk, and so he was there right there with Yvonne. He told us about the trip he took last summer to Yellowstone. You think about taking a trip to the National Park during the early days of COVID, when all the, the National Park employees were home, um, there were some things in the park that weren't, weren't taken care of very well, like especially the, the pit toilets in the National Park. And so my friend told me, being in Yellowstone and having this pit toilets, where he his experience of the pit toilet was such that uh, when he was there, there was uh, no toilet paper at all in the pit toilet. Um, and so uh, he discerned that. And so he left. He went back. He talked to his wife. He said, uh, do, you, you know, do you have any toilet paper? Because they're out of toilet paper there. She said, no. He said, uh, well, do you have anything? And, and she, had, she had some paper towels. And uh, my, my friend says, 
this will do. This will do. And so he walked back up to where the pit toilets were, and he said, excuse me, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It has come to my understanding that there is no toilet paper in the pit toilets, but you need something, and I have what you need. And I'm just telling you that my wife and I are going to donate this to you all to be able to use in those toilets. But there's something else that you need even far greater than you need your paper towels. So you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ so your sins can be forgiven so you can spend eternity with him. Now if any of you are interested in hearing about the message of Jesus, you just come and ask. And so he gave the, the toilet paper over to, to someone and they went there and he, and he said, by the way, he said, and I had in my back pocket, he said, I had five tracks and five people came up to him and asked him about Jesus. And so he gave out five tracks to people. That's what Philip was doing when he was preaching the good news up in Samaria. And you could do that too. What does it take? It takes some discernment, what's going on, to use a situation. It takes some preparation to maybe have some tracks on you or maybe in your car or around you so you can do that. And it takes some boldness to be able to proclaim to many. And now you might be, um, uh, you might be intimidated by that. Just pray God would, would give you boldness for those sorts of opportunities. My friend, by the way, is not a pastor. He's never been a pastor, not been employed by the church, has a love for Jesus and a heart to share the message of Christ with those who breathe. He's got tracks in his pocket that he, he shares. He's ready to speak to those he encounters, whether it's singly, individually, or as a group like, like he did there. But here in the chariot, Philip's approach was different, right? He didn't have to raise his voice. didn't have to shout. He simply had to read the scriptures and explain to them. And you can do this as well. It just takes some time to read the Bible for yourself to understand it so that you are ready and capable and willing then to be used of God just to take the scriptures and to explain it with people. Verse 35 again says, he opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. So let me just model for you how you can do that. So we can go to Isaiah 53, so why don't you go there? He's sitting, just picture me, Philip, sitting right with this Ethiopian eunuch, Right here with Isaiah 53. Intentionally, I haven't prepared much for this. All right? It's just, it's not very difficult when you're one on one to say, oh, that's the passage you're reading. I'll tell you, you're reading verses 7 and 8. Well, let's just go back. Let's just, let's just look at verse 3. This is describing the Messiah. It's not, Isaiah's not talking about himself, he's talking about the Messiah. This man was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And you, you can read that and just explain it, and just say it in the same other words. Well, here was Jesus of Nazareth was in Jerusalem, and people didn't like him. In fact, it says here they despised him. They, they hid their faith. They didn't esteem Jesus. Jesus was despised in Jerusalem. That describes Jesus exactly. And then it says, verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs, and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We, we did see him as stricken. We saw him upon the cross. And, and we thought he was crushed. And he, we thought that he was, he was one smitten by God. But, but he's the one that bear, bore our griefs. Look at verse 5. He, 
He was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus on the cross was pierced. Pierced twice in his arms, his hands, wrists, hands. And in his legs he was, both feet. And even at the end, they, they pierced him in his side. He was pierced. But he was pierced, here it is, for our transgressions. There he's died for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. See, Jesus is the path to healing. That, that our chastisement fell upon him. And, and, and our wounds fell upon him. And our wounds are healed in him. In fact, here's the reality. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned to his own way. Everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is, we're all sinners. We've all gone like sheep. But God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. We simply need to believe in Jesus. And here's the verses you were reading, Mr. Eunuch. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. And I tell you, I, I saw Jesus. And, and when he was being beaten and crushed, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't complain. He was mocked, and he was quiet. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter, like a sheep that's silent before his shears, so he opened his mouth, and Jesus didn't. He didn't rebuke. He didn't, he didn't lash out. He was just quiet because he was the sacrificial lamb. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of a land of living, stricken for the transgression of my people? You know what? People didn't think about that. He, he was taken away. But for, for judgment, and nobody thought, oh, he's doing this for us. No, they didn't. Do it. It's only afterwards that we see that he was. And by the way, if we just keep going, they made a, his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, although he'd done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus was the most peace-loving man, and yet they, they killed him. And, and he was. Joseph of Arimathea buried, took his body and put him in his own tomb. He was a, a very rich man. He was a rich Pharisee. And that's what happened. Yet, it was the will of God to crush him, and he was put to grief. God's will was to crush him so that we might be made right with him. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Here's a subtle reference to the resurrection, right? When his soul makes an offering, right? When he dies upon that cross, he's still going to be alive. He's going to see the offspring. He's going to see those who believe in him, and his days will then be prolonged as he lives forever. Do you believe that? And, and that's, that's all you need to do with people. Just talk them through a verse like that that's preaching, if you will. Now, I'm saying it more loudly than you would if I was right next to somebody. But just read it. Say it again. Take your Bible knowledge and kind of translate just one-on-one -on -one what's, what's most helpful there. And he did that. And then we see believing in verses 36 through 38. Philip was so convincing that uh, he believed. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, this is the significance of the little phrase in verse 26. It says, a desert place. There wasn't a lot of water in that place. And the eunuch saw some water, which was unusual. But he saw some, he said, hey, what prevents me from being baptized? Because he was believing the message that Philip was preaching and I think Philip probably preached about baptism. Maybe, maybe the eunuch saw some baptisms taking place in Jerusalem. We, we don't exactly know, but it was on his mind. And he, he wanted to be baptized. And then in verse 37, which isn't in many of your Bibles, right? because it's not in most of the Old 
manuscripts that are faithful. We, we translate the Bible from the faithful manuscripts that are the oldest, and a lot of them go back to 200 A.D., maybe some 250, maybe some 300 A.D., but this verse 37 didn't appear in the manuscript evidence until after 500 A.D. So all the best manuscripts we translate from doesn't have verse 37 in them. Um, some scribe probably, to make clear the requirements of baptism with his faith, probably wrote this down. Verse 37 reads this. You can probably see it there in your note. It says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I think this was probably some practice of the 6th the century. This is a formula the early church used. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe with all your heart? Yes, I do. Well, then you may be baptized. And that's totally true. That's totally what we would follow today. It's not like this is error not being in the, in the text. It's totally true, and it's helpful helpful to see that it comes with belief and you can even see the whole reason why he's acting asking about baptism is because he he believes he says i believe that jesus christ is the son of god and after that the believer in the probably in the church was baptized immersed in water sign of their cleansing from sin and uh that's exactly what happened here then we see verse 38 he commanded the chariot to stop stop in fact, I remember growing up, we drove on our road trips. If we saw a brown sign, right, you know, some brown sign, something that you look at, my dad would often say, stop the car, and, and we wouldn't be so excited about that. We'd go and see the brown sign. But there was some water, and it commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Took him down into the water, New Testament baptism, immersed him completely, sign of identification with Christ, a sign just how Jesus baptized, sign of how the, the, uh, John the Baptist baptized, how they baptized there. And if you've not been baptized, talk to me. We're hopefully going to have a baptism service this summer. If you've come to faith and you said, yes, do you believe, if you've answered this question right, do you believe in Jesus with all your heart? Yes, I believe he's the son of God. Then, then come. It's time for you to be baptized. We see the believing and now we see the leaving. Uh, verse 39 and 40. And when they came up out of the water, now, probably here, they're both down in there, and they, they walked up out of there, but they, it shows that they had to walk down some places. It wasn't a spigot. It's more like a pond of some type. Coming up out of this water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So I remember the, the story of the road to Emmaus, how it says Jesus sort of vanished. Here's sort of a similar story. Here it says that Philip was carried away. Um, now, it's difficult to know exactly what happened. It may well be that he was raptured. That's the same word, just kind of taken out and didn't, just gone. It says the Ethiopian unit didn't see him anymore. It, it may not have been miraculous. Like maybe he just said, you know what, I got to go. And he just kind of, taken away just like he was taken away before when, when the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, go to the south. Maybe he had another revelation. He says, rise, you got to go to Caesarea because that's where he went. Verse 40 actually went to Azotus first. Philip found himself at Azotus. Maybe just beam me up, Scotty. Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. Philip found himself at Azotus, which is somewhat by Caesarea, somewhat by the sea. 
And as he passed through, he preached the gospel. There it is, Galizo again. He's just preaching again to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So here you see the heart of Philip, the heart of the evangelist, right, being taken from Gaza, getting uh, routed. Now he's at Azotus, and he's going to just travel on a little bit ways to Caesarea. But he's continuing this heart of just preaching the gospel to all these towns. He's going to come to Caesarea. We're going to meet him again, by the way, when we get to Acts chapter 21. When Paul visits Caesarea, we are going to see him coming into the home of Philip um, with his daughters, and there he's going to be. So somehow, he didn't get his ministry, that they settled down in Samaria, he didn't, not, not in Gaza, but it seems like he settled down in Caesarea, this evangelist of speaking to people and seeing people that come to Christ. But it all, it all comes through divine appointments, God orchestrating events. So that your heart, and with a heart that's willing, come into contact with one another, people can hear the gospel and can come to faith in Jesus. And so you may have some opportunities this week. You should pray for opportunities for divine appointments. I may have some this week. And I just, I'm going to pray, just encourage you all to be bold to walk through them and do what this evangelist Philip did. He just opened the scriptures and he just read and explained. It's not so difficult to do. What is difficult to do <laughs> is leading hearts to believe in Jesus. You can, you can labor long and hard. Even heard in prayer meeting this morning that one family is reaching out to another family for seven years or nine years. They've come, been here to church a little bit. They've come to lots of things in their house. I've, I've watched lots of movies together for nine years, and yet there's some openness, but who knows where the fruit is going to come. It just takes a long time. It takes God being faithful, but we need to be faithful to speak out forth, be a bold witness for Christ. So let us pray. Father, I would pray, God, that you would so stir our hearts that we would see uh, divine appointments, God, working um, just in our lives, where people would come into our lives. May we see that they're there by your sovereign plan. May you help us to be bold and as, as Acts is teaching us to be a witness for Jesus to give testimony and to give witness of the saving power of Christ. And um, Father, I, I would pray that you would do what is impossible for us to do. We can open our mouths. We can tell others of Jesus. But, but we can't persuade the Ethiopian eunuch to believe with all of his heart. God, but you, I think of Philip, and this is the one chance where he got to meet him, and he reaped the harvest. And yet maybe there were some Jews in a synagogue in Ethiopia who had been sowing for years. Or maybe there's some scripture he's been reading and maybe someone teaching him and talking with him, sowing for years. And then he makes this big, epic journey up to Jerusalem where many people are sowing into his lives, particularly with the Christian message. And he hears all these people talking to him about Christianity. And then he leaves, still undecided. And finally then Philip comes and gets to be able to reap what has been sown by others. And Father, I, I would pray that we would be in, in some of those business where we are, we are sowing or we are watering or we are tending. God, but we also pray that you would give us some reaping as well in the, in the fruits of people coming to faith in Christ. And Father, it's all, it's all by your hand. As uh, Paul said, uh, I, I, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who caused the growth. God, that, that we are nothing, but it's really you who caused the growth, and it's to you that we look to be the one to stir hearts, to seek you, and to seek your favor. And I, and I pray that through our witness, God, you convert people to Jesus. That, that people would be like this Ethiopian eunuch, estranged and apart, 
being a foreigner, being a eunuch, was not welcome into the temple grounds because of his, his blemish and his body. And yet, God, he is fully received in Jesus. And so I pray that there would be many, God, even in our, our country and our, our people and the people that we know, God, might come to faith in Jesus, who right now are outsiders, but may they come in through faith in Christ. And it's only you who do that by opening hearts, by changing eyes, um, just even as you did on the road to Emmaus, you, you open their hearts to believe. You open their eyes. God, so may we just be instruments of what you are doing through these divine appointments that come our way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.